2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are looking at verses 1 through 8. Um, making good progress, actually. As some might argue it. Who join me in prayer, then we'll read the word of the Lord, Second Corinthians chapter five, verses one through eight. Father, this season that you have set before us to the glory of the incarnation, may your people who are called by your name rejoice as we sing. And Father, as I think about um, what the truth of this holiday is, we can't help but stand in awe. And yet, as I look at this text, Lord, I pray that my brothers and my sisters see that that awe in that manger 2,000 years ago was for this very reason, that the sting of death has been removed. The fear of that unknown is no longer fear. And that, Father, we can be as our brother Paul and look with great expectation at the time that we shed this, this earthly tent, dismantle it. And, Father, may we step into your glory hearing, well done, true and faithful servant. Lord, we love you. And may that love grow with every breath you grace us until the day our faith becomes sight. Father, may we understand the urgency of the day. Yet, Father, may we give it unto you as we decrease, as you increase. In Christ, amen. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for indeed, in this house, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. And as much as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened because we do not, un, do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. So that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for such this very purpose is God, he who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. How do I face death? I mean, everybody, you know, it's like, you're teaching about facing death at Christmas. And that's part of it. I mean, that was the purpose, to overcome death. It is given to man to die once. By the work of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God in that manger, death is defeated. And yet, I watch Christians on a regular basis for years now who have a fear of it. And, and I keep thinking, what did you get saved for? I got saved because 
Um, death is hanging out there. It's, I, I don't get to pick it when it shows up. I mean, it comes. It comes when it wants to. And yet I've watched people who have this dread. Um, if you look at all of the stuff that you hear on how to take care of yourself and how to exercise and walk this far and don't walk this far and do this and don't do that and eat this and don't eat that. And, and I listen to all of these things. And what is it for? To prevent death? Um, I No, I don't, I don't think that that's how this thing works because... Um, I used to climb mountains. Uh, I moved to Colorado actually in the late 70s for that reason. And uh, one of the guys that I climbed with uh, worked for the uh, Aurora Fire Department, 24 years old, a marathoner. And I mean, this guy lived to train. I mean, that's all he did. He ran and lifted and did all this. And when I would climb, we would pick what we were going to climb and I, about six months before we were going to go, I would start training. Okay, and then for six months I'd get ready, we'd do the climb, and then I'd go back to living in debauchery. <laughs> back to quarter pounders with cheese and <laughs> whatever else felt good to me. And But I would train. I mean, I watched my diet. I used to have a backpack that I would throw about 50 pounds of lead weight in the back of it, and I'd run up my stairs to my apartment building uh, all on the way when I came home in the evening and on the way out in the morning. And, you know, and people would look at that and think, that's stupid. Um, but anyway, I look at it today and say, yep, <laughs> you're right. That ranked right up there with duh. But uh, anyway, um, one morning we were preparing to, to actually do the the north face of the Grand Teton in January. Okay, which is really right up there with what was you thinking? Okay, because the North Face is shady. <laughs> you you never get the sun. And so anyway, we were getting ready to do this, and one morning I got a call from his uh, commander or whatever, and they said meet me at the hospital. Uh, Gary's had a problem, so I went down there, and uh, sure enough, Gary had a problem. Gary stepped into eternity with a massive heart attack at twenty four. An athlete. But God said that your race is over and you're done. Okay. My great grandfather lived to be 103 years old. And out of that 103 years, 84 of them he smoked. And he had this moonshine thing that he was kind of into too. Okay. And people say, well, but. Because I remember when the doctor told him that he had to uh, quit smoking or he wouldn't live long. And I think at that time it was about 90-something. And that's the only time I ever heard my great-grandfather cuss. <laughs> and he says, well, how long have you been smoking? And he's longer than you are old. <laughs> um, so, and, you know, the thing that I try to express with all of these is that you don't get out of this thing alive. And people are just not getting it. And, and I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about... In the church. Because we're guilty of it. You know, I, I know two churches right now here in our area who have uh, aerobics classes. Well, I know one that's doing pole dancing, and I didn't really want to get into that. But I'm sitting there going, what? But anyway, but it's, it's for health reasons. 
well, whatever. Okay, and it, and it doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves. Okay, but if you're really honest with yourself, if you look at our society in the church, it has become an obsession. An obsession. I tell everybody that I can still to this day do everything I did when I was 20. It just takes me forever to heal. <laughs> so, but I still do it. But what I've learned is, as I've gotten older, that what I was doing at 20 was foolish. <laughs> so it's not necessarily needed to do that. It's like running. Well, you should run. You know, at 55 years old, I've decided I'll go ahead and take the whipping. And uh, I ain't running. <laughs> so, I mean, the only thing I can figure is as I'm running from something, uh, go ahead, let it whoop me. <laughs> and then it'll be easier to heal. When I look at my brother Paul in this text and in, in this whole book, it is very clear what he's dealing with. Paul was living in a place and a time when his life was in extreme danger. And yet, if you look at Paul's focus, no matter what letter it is, he had to focus first and foremost was on the rapture, the second coming, the, the catching up of the saints uh, to be with Jesus in the sky. His second priority, if he missed the rapture, was death. He preferred death because he knew that absent from the body, present with the Lord. But he also understood that if it was for the benefit of the saints that he live, then life was okay, though it was third on the priority list. Okay, if you look at the evangelical community today in the United States, you will not find that list. Okay. Very few look at our life in the church to be the benefit to others. Most of the church models that I see today are based on if I get enough people sitting in the chairs, then I can hire ministers and the ministers can take care of the people sitting in the chairs. Okay, uh, That's not biblical. If you are saved, you are a minister. If I look at chapter 5, and you're going to find out a little more about this toward the end of chapter 5, that we each who are saved today have this ministry of reconciliation. Okay, We are reconciling fallen men to a holy God. And that's every one of us's responsibility. And you, you have to ask yourself, how is it that I can live knowing that I'm here to serve the people? How is it that I can live knowing that death is better? How is it that I can live and strive knowing that I'm really anticipating the second coming of Jesus Christ? Okay, and how can I face it happily? At any given moment, God can say, you're done. All right, and I mean, you, you, we would call it, a, a, it was an accident. Or have you ever noticed that if someone who dies around Christmas, how much more tragic that is? Really? Is a death more tragic at Christmas or June? You see what I'm trying to get at? All right, or their life was cut short. Well, what's long? 
you know, um, my thing and my view of death is when I'm done, get me out of here. Okay, well, what about grandkids or what about? No, 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 no. You don't understand. If I have the view the Apostle Paul has, that is all irrelevant. My view says I am here for the purpose of Christ. And if Christ says your purpose is fulfilled, come on home. Why? And if you look at these four points on your bulletin, you'll see them that the next home is the best. And that's what we've been looking at. But the next one is only perfect. Oh, well, but I should stick around. What if I haven't gone to the Bahamas yet? Oh, the next is his, the next existence is God's fulfillment of his promise. The next home is with the Lord. Think about that. And yet we struggle with it. And when I look at this, I, 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 why would I be motivated to be out of here? Why wouldn't I be? I am here to be about my father's work, his business, right? And then once I get my father's work done, what, I'm going to retire? Or go on vacation? No. You leave this creation and go to the next. It's not that hard to see. As I was looking through this, it became clear. When we think about the resurrection, and I'm talking about us, when we receive our resurrected body, I I believe that there is part of us, we've either not thought about it, or we've taken it on a line of knowledge that we can comprehend. And we try to decide, well, is that really what? What's it going to be like? You know, I remember one time when I was uh, playing golf on a regular basis. I kept thinking, you know, when you get to heaven, everybody will shoot at 18. And I mean, par 5, par 3, par 4, it doesn't matter. Just bing, hole in one, bing, hole in one. Bing, hole in one, you know, and you just, you know, golf just isn't. And then as the longer I played golf, I realized that anything that was that torturous, they're not going to play in heaven. <laughs> so, I mean, you can hit one and look like Arnold Palmer, then you look like Daffy Duck. <laughs> and, it's, and somebody changed the ball because that last one was perfect. So anyway. Uh, but but you do these kind of things and you think, well, you know, so you're trying to picture heaven. How how is it? And and I thought that it, I would take a, a moment and review some things that you and I have looked at and that the Corinthians had looked at. Paul has already talked about this. And yet we struggle with it at times. And it was out of the 15th chapter of first Corinthians. And he starts it in verse 35 of 15. There's a question that is asked. And I get this question on a regular basis. Someone will say, how are the dead raised and what kind of body do they come? Okay, I remember reading the early missionaries to the, uh, the island of Japan 
would speak of the resurrection. And when the tribal leaders were offended, they would behead the missionaries. And then they had couriers who would take the heads to the north end of Japan and leave the bodies down on the south end of Japan. And the reason was God wouldn't be able to match the heads and the bodies. Okay, so we can stop your God's resurrection by doing this. Um, if you go to Jerusalem right now, and you go to the eastern side of the Temple Mound, where the temple will be, you will find two cemeteries. One is a Jewish cemetery. One is an Arabic cemetery. Okay, do you know why they're there? Jesus said he would return and he would come in from the east. And a holy man of God cannot walk across a cemetery. Okay, so you just sit there and go, brilliant. (laughs) You didn't read the part where he's just going to split that thing wide open, did you? (laughs) But, But they think, well, we can stop the second coming of Jesus Christ by putting a cemetery in front of him. He'd already told the Corinthians about this, and he's already told them that the best is yet to come. Okay, what is this new body? It starts there in that question. Someone will say, how is the dead raised, and what kind of body? What does it look like? Okay, this new body. How will the Lord find these decomposed people? I heard a description. I heard a guy one time discussing this, and it was kind of comical if it wasn't so tragic. He says, well, I don't understand the resurrection. I, do, I don't understand how God's going to do that. And he, I said, well, why is that? He says, well, if you take somebody and you stick them in the ground. Okay, it's an unmarked grave or something like that. And all of a sudden, that body becomes what? Fertilizer. Helps the grass grow. You got a cow comes by. It eats the grass. You milk the cow. All right, you got the milk out of the cow and you give it to who? To somebody to support them. They can sit and drink milk. How does God get all those molecules back together? I mean, separate from the people who drank the milk and the people who ate the beef to the people who was buried in the ground. I remember right after World War I, the secession, the following spring, um, they had a thing called blood poppies. And where these great battles would take um, uh place during world war one that's trench warfare they had wild poppies that would grow up and that first year after world war one they all came up red every poppy there was no colors they were all red okay how is god going to be able to get all them little molecules there's bob oh golly and i got it mixed up with sally over here how's he going to do that And I listen to people like that. I think, you have got too much free time. Perhaps you should get cable. How do you raise these decomposed molecular people who have gone to dirt? And you have to look at it that in our present knowledge, how do you and I understand the resurrection? I mean, I've heard great conflicts on, can a Christian be cremated? Well, depends on what building he's in when it burns down. I don't, you know, I, whatever. I I don't understand that, you know, but, well, but he'll have all those ashes. 
Well, he'll, he'll look like an ashtray in glory. This isn't hard to understand. I, I listen to some of this and you think, well, what do you do with the Christians who was buried at sea? That would be a pleasant thought, huh? God trying to, I know he's down there somewhere, move it around. How is it possible to reassemble completely cast out molecules? How do you do that? Well, Paul already gives you the answer in a very short statement in chapter 5 when he says, it is a new building, not with hands. Okay? It is not of this creation. Alright? What those bodies are, whether it is someone who has been fertilizer for grass, or however he was reassembled. I was reading some trivial stuff that just give you an idea about this because I think there's times that you and I, we look at it and we think, well, will I have this when I get to heaven? What? How big will my nose? Will I have to shave? You know, what's, what's going to happen? Well, science says that by the time you are 50 years old, you have had 16 bodies. Okay, some of you look like it. (laughs) Okay, but the regeneration process of the molecular structure of the human anatomy replaces itself 16 times by the time you're 50. Science says that every three years, your cells are replaced. Okay. Now, this one here was one I thought was truly fascinating. 75% of the dust that is in your home is you. Everybody's got a pleasant feeling now, don't we? (laughs) So you could clean it, shut it up, stay out of it. It should be fine. What I see in that is God's recycling the physical, isn't he? If he's doing that, is he not also recycling the spiritual? So the question in 35 is, how are the dead raised? And I like Paul. Because verse 36 is what he answers. You fool. (laughs) That's my kind of shepherding (laughs) here. You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So, Paul begins to describe the resurrected body. Okay? How do we understand the resurrected body? And it's really neat the way the apostle does it because he gives it to us a four-part answer. Okay? The first part, is he illustrates it by, look around, dummy. I mean, let's be realistic. Look around. Here's what he says. And that which you sow, verse 37, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. 
All right. Now you think about it. Have you ever seen tulips? Beautiful, ain't they? You ever seen how they start? That kind of a dumb looking thing. Okay. And when you plant that bulb into the ground, do you know what you're going to get? Well, it's supposed to be a tulip. But that doesn't look like a tulip you're putting in the ground. You plant a seed uh, for any flower or any grain or anything like that. Does it look like what you're going after? You know, I, I like the bags that, that are uh, bags of seed that are wildflowers. You ever seen those? You just kind of break up the dirt. You throw them out there and then you get all kinds of pretty colors. Okay, but I can't look at that seed and say, you know what? I think that one right there is going to be purple. Yeah, that one there is going to be a little lilac color. Oh, and this one here is going to be yellow. And you can't look at it. I look at the seeds here. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Throw them in the ground. See what we get. You don't get it. You can't plant it. You don't go plant an apple seed expecting to raise pears. But you don't know what its harvest is going to be. You don't know what the fruit is going to be. All you know is that I planted it in the ground and we'll see what God brings up. That's what the illustration the Apostle Paul's given. He says, you see this all the time. You plant something that for all intents and purposes is dead. You stick it in the ground. You ever thought about that? I mean, that is the dumbest way of reproducing something that I've ever heard of. And yet that's how God does it. I've never seen anything like it. An acorn falls off a sycamore tree. You ever seen an acorn? It falls on the ground right right there. What's that going to be? A sycamore tree? Sure it is. Look, I got a hickory nut. What's that going to be? A hickory tree or a baseball bat. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? Paul says, now do you see why he says you fool? Well, dude, you see the resurrection on a daily basis. Anytime you've ever planted anything, what happened? But it came out of the death of. It's like pine cones. I never could figure out pine cones. They never go into the ground. I kept thinking, how are you getting pine trees if the pine cone ain't going in the ground? Then they tell me it's got these little fuzzy things off of it. And they, they fall down and they go down in the ground. and they sort of, It's just holding the seeds. And I was like, well, who knows that? It's probably, I went to school, I was going to be a forest stranger. That's probably why I didn't make it. So he illustrates it as simple as a flower. He says, if you throw that seed in the ground, you're going to have a radical change, but I have no way visible and able to visualize it. Okay? I mean, you can plant a tulip bulb. Is it going to be a real tall one? Or will it be a short one? I don't know. I mean, if I planted a tulip bulb and a lily grew up, I'd probably go, huh, that's pretty cool. But by looking at the seed, you can't say this is what this is going to be. Okay? The body goes into the ground. The body goes into death. And it doesn't resemble the glory to come. Verse 39. All flesh is not of the same flesh. But there is one flesh of men. There's another flesh of beast, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. Hmm. Okay. So he moves from here's the illustration that you see 
to here is the comparison. And he's saying all bodies, no matter what it is, are different. They're not the same. And I mean, if you're really honest, look at this room. We're all different. I mean, identical twins are different. They're all different. They're all different. Verse 41. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for a star differs from a star in glory. I mean, if you're really honest with yourself, if you look at the stars, there's no two alike. There's no two alike. They're all different. So what he's doing, he says, let me compare some things. If you take a fish or a beast, they're not the same. You take a human or a cow, they're not the same. Okay, But if I take a moon and I take a sun, they're not the same. If I take two suns, different solar systems, they're not the same. You know, I, I hear everybody's trying to find a, another planet Earth. They found another planet Earth somewhere long, long, long ways away. They said, well, this thing here looks like it could grow. Well, if... I'm not an astronomer and I'm not a scientist or anything like that, but the mass of this thing is about four times the size of the earth, which means if you take and you spin it, <laughs> okay, you're going to have a whole bunch of short people, <laughs> okay, <laughs> because I spin that sucker around and it's, it's a support life. They're going to be earthworms because <laughs> uh, the gravity on it is going to be a lot more massive, all right, so, all right, we found another planet. We think we can live there as long as you're willing to crawl, okay? Because your 150-pound body just went to 450, and you didn't even get to eat a hamburger. There's all kinds of different things that are out there, and that's what he's basically saying. He says, let, let me show you how this is because if I just take the living beings and you look at them and you say well they're different but then i can take the celestial beings oh hey guess what they're different they're all kinds of different verse 42 so also is the resurrection of the dead it is sown a perishable body it is raised imperishable okay now he has moved to show let me show you a contrast Okay, now, when you think about the resurrected body, look what it says. It goes into the ground, how? Perishable. That's why it's in the ground. And it comes out of the ground, how? Imperishable. So you know what that means, right? It is a little different than what we got right now. Okay? You ever thought about that? It can't age. You ever, that's amazing to me. Just think about that for a second. The resurrected body cannot age. Try this one. The resurrected body is not bound by time. Okay, you know, I listen to, they, they talk about uh, traveling to this other planet someplace and how many billions of light years away it is, and you'd only have to live to be 140,000 years old if you traveled at the speed of light to get there. 
it's sort of like them putting Ted Williams' head in a thing down in Arizona to refrigerate it, and if they can find out a cure for his disease, then they'll fix it. I'm like, his disease has got no body. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What are you going to do with that one? Um, you know, I don't care what he died of. <laughs> but if he's, there's nothing from the neck down, it becomes very evident to me of death. They're all different. There's a difference because if I look at this and I say, all right, the resurrection of the dead, it is sown perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown bound by time. It is raised no longer bound by time. I don't understand that. Everything that I have in my life to my existence to this day is bound by time. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. I don't understand that. I know my heart. I've hung out with me for a while. I know. Be sitting there praising God and reading scriptures and all of a sudden have something go cruising through your brain. Go, what was that? Now, I know none of you guys have ever struggled with that, but every once in a while I get one of these. Oh, mercy. That's dishonor. Think of the things that you've done just this past week to dishonor God. And then think of no longer even having the ability to dishonor God. Ponder that for a second. I can't even, I, you just sort of, uh, what? It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Let me tell you something. As different as heaven is from the earth, the resurrected body will be that different. As different as the earth and the heavens are, the resurrected body will be that different. It will be different in all that you comprehend. Because you can only go on the baseline of what you know right now. But I want to ask you a question. If you're not bound by time, do things change? You know what? You don't need a day planner. <laughs> okay? If your heart, oh wretched man that I am, dishonors God. And then no longer has an ability to dishonor God. Remember what Jesus said? If you look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery. You don't even have to do it. I just thought it. Oh, guilty. Okay? Just think about this. You would no longer have that ability. You can't covet. It's impossible. You can't envy. You can't steal. And not only that, in the weakness that is your mortality, now you're only walking in the power that created existence. That's all. And yet we still want to stay here. Why? 
Why? So Paul uses nature as an illustration. Then he uses a comparison. Okay? But then he uses a contrast that this resurrected body is imperishable, it is glorious, it is powerful. And then he says this, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If the natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Okay, remember the little Genesis event? He took dirt and created what? Adam, right? So right there, you have the physical body. But then did he, what did he do? He blew into his nostrils. If you take the Hebrew term for him blowing into the nostrils, that's the same thing you sit and we get pneuma from. It's the same thing you see the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It is now spiritual. So it's two part. All right, so he describes it. So he wants you to say, it sits there and he says, all right, here's how it looks. Just take the natural realm. You've already seen it. Okay, if I give you a comparison, you've already seen that. Okay, then I give you the contrast and I show you that. Here's what the natural is. Here's what the eternal is. Okay, but then he goes to verse 45 and he gives you, and I don't really have a better term. I've been bouncing this term around, but uh, please bear with me. This is the best one that I can give you is the quote unquote prototype. (laughs) Seems sort of silly, but anyway, it is written. Okay, then he quotes Genesis 2, 7. The first man, Adam, became a living soul. Okay, created him out of the dirt, blew into his nose. Now you have a physical and a spiritual. All right. The last Adam became the what? The life-giving spirit. Now, Now, let me try to explain this to you. You have Adam who is the first physical, but he's also a spiritual. But what did he do? He was told to take authority over creation and rule it. Okay, but by eating of the fruit, he says, I don't want to rule. I want Lucifer to rule. Okay, as soon as he did that, the spirit in Adam is what? Dead. All right, now then, you've got to understand something. Man was created in God's image. Adam was created in God's image. You were created in whose image? Every single one of us in this room came out of the loins of Adam. It is by man's seed. Right? So, when you look at the birth of Christ, who's the seed? God is. Therefore, he had no ability to sin. Because he came to a woman's egg by God's seed. Everybody else came from whose seed? Did Adam sin? Guess what? It's in my gene pool. And everybody used that excuse. Ah, my kids all run out and say, I'm sinning my supposed to. (laughs) So he says, 
the first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving soul. Well, what the heck is the last Adam? Christ. Christ. It's very simple to think about it. Where does the spiritual life come from? Christ. Okay. And he was born of woman, but not of man. All right. And that's what you have to understand now. He's saying the resurrected body will be of who? Christ. It will not be like Adam. Remember? He says in heaven, you will not be giving in marriage. Why? You want to be married to her for eternity? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, she's perfect. You want to be married to her for eternity? <laughs> Sorry. I'm allowed to say that. I'm up here. Uh, hang on. Because there's no reproduction. We don't have to make more. Okay? And everybody says, there won't be no kids. Hallelujah! <laughs> How do you think you get silence in heaven? I, I don't understand this. I just don't understand. What? what? You take care of this now. All right, and then you step into glory. All right, you know, it's like uh, me and my wife, we've been talking. Our kids are all gone and they're basically to the four corners of the earth, I think. And she says, well, what are we going to do? I said, we did exactly what we were called to. We trained them up in the things of the Lord. And now we want them to go make disciples. Ain't that what we're supposed to do? All right. So, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, I'm done. <laughs> Why do I hear crickets? <laughs> Not quite. Okay. But these are the things that I want you and I to think about. When you think about death, it's easy for us to go, oh, can we talk about that? Sure. Why? I want this resurrected body that Jesus has. If you go to Luke 24, you can go look at it yourself later, but you'll see that the resurrected body did some really cool stuff. It like, it walked. Interesting concept. You know what else it did? It talked. I think that's awesome. And yet, it had the ability to just appear in a room. I want that. I will wreak havoc. <laughs> ding, ding. How does a, it, it, you know what else his body did? It ate. Okay, now take your text of, in, in Corinthians 15 and it says you have one is of the earth and you have one is of the heavens. All right. How does a heavenly body process earthly food? But he sat down and had broiled fish. And then he went right back through the wall. Does the fish go through the wall? Or does it... That would be disgusting. I don't know. I mean, everybody says, why do you think about these things? <laughs> you guys just shouldn't leave me alone by myself. Oh, wonder. But how do you process that? I don't 
know how you process it. Huh? When I eat, I have a digestive thing that happens. Okay? You don't have that in a glorified body, so what did he do with the fish? He ate it. And yet, he can walk, he can talk, and yet he can stand there and all of a sudden rise up to heaven and gone in front of everybody. And they're all standing there going, huh. And an angel come down, what are you waiting on? Okay, he'll return just like that. I, that means that it's not bound by gravity. And it's obvious that if he was headed for heaven and he was going that way, he didn't really have a need for oxygen. Or he could just really hold his breath a long time. We'll be there in a minute. I don't know. See what I'm trying to get at? It is not of this creation, and yet it moved around in this creation. I think it's awesome myself. People says, well, how does the glorified body process fleshly fish? You know what the answer is? I don't know. (laughs) Listen, I want you to try to remember that the resurrected body is not like your Casper the ghost. Okay, remember when he... I I get people who get into this, it's like, boo. Uh, that, That ain't what it's about because he told Thomas, here, touch my... Okay. And you can't touch Casper. Now, I haven't really hung out with Casper a lot, but just what I know of him. Okay? And yet, it had physical substance to it, and yet could go through a wall. Alright? So what I'm trying to get at is, Yuki, you know, how do you do that? I don't know. But when you do it, you'll know you did it. Why, when I look at this text, this resurrected body is also so awesome because it will be me. It will be you. Okay, Jesus had the ability to keep it hidden. Then when he would pull it back, they knew it was Jesus. The, the, the men on the road to Emmaus, uh, even Mary at the tomb. Okay, um, you always see it, that it's always there, okay? But it, it is you. And, and I don't know, it's, it goes back to that when he was on the Mount of the Transfiguration, he pulls back his humanity, shows his glory, and they said that Moses and Elijah were standing there. Now, how do they know that was Moses and Elijah? I mean, did they have pictures of Moses and Elijah? No, they had name badge. Welcome to heaven. My name's Moses. Everybody knows how you identify people in heaven. Welcome to heaven. My name is. That's not true. (laughs) But it was revealed. Jesus was revealed. He could pull it back and say, look, it's Jesus. They knew who he was. And yet, he had the ability to appear in the middle of the room. He had the ability to walk. He had the ability to talk. He had the ability to eat. Okay? That's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 
had no concern. None whatsoever. John understood this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great the love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. And for this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. And my, my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Beloved, now that we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. That's awesome. And everybody's going to be so disappointed. You're all going to think He's going to have shoulder length brown hair, blue eyes, and a big old beard and all the rest of it. And it ain't going to be it. That ain't going to be it. If this temporary tent is dismantled, folded up, guess what? It's going to be better. We will be going to a dwelling place that God has prepared. It's not of this earthly creation. And it will only last for eternity. I want that one. I really do. That is when you read the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will release me from this? You know, I I look at it and I look at a Christian's life. And I'm talking about the true Christians. They have the outer assault of the enemy. It's unrelenting. They, they want us to stumble. They want to embarrass us. They want to humiliate us. They want to ridicule us. They, want, they pick at us. They, they want to do everything they can to distract us. But I, we also have the inner assault of ourselves. And it's unrelenting too. It's always a battle. And yet, the Christian view of death should be the view of the next body. The best. And, you know... I can see it would be hard to face death unless you know what's waiting for you. And if you don't know what's waiting for you, then it's going to be a little bit unnerving. But I just give you a piece of this. And you should look at this and say, death isn't that big a deal. Let me live my life as to Christ And when I have completed what he deems necessary, I'll be with Christ. When my work is done, well done, true and faithful servant. But as long as we are necessary here, so be it. So be it. That's why the Apostle Paul, though he looked at death straight in the eye and never even blinked, could do it because he knew that he was doing what the Lord had set out for him. And until you and I understand that this is just temporary and I want to go to the building that God has built that is not of this creation, and until I rest in that assurance, you'll be fearful. And you ain't going to face death happily. 
And yet, Paul looked forward to it. We can look forward to it. But you got to ask yourself, you like this container or the one coming? It's that simple. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things you continue to do. And thank you for this text. Lord, it will only be you opening our eyes. It will only be you opening our ears and making our hearts fertile ground for your truth. And Father, I ask that of you. Sanctify us with truth. I mean, your word is truth. Help us, Lord, to long to be in your presence, but, Father, to be eager about your task here on this planet. Until that day our faith becomes sight, may we be about your work, about your focus, about your purpose, and doing it only in your power. To your glory and praise. Amen.